welcome back to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and on this episode, I have on Catherine Minshew, who is the CEO of TheMuse.com, and she's not the first entrepreneur of tech startups we've had on the show. We also had Ricky, and by we, I mean me, um, Ricky Van Veen, uh, the CEO of College Humor. They are both incredibly young and um, really ambitious, and I was excited about her site because it's also a job website that's supposed to be more thoughtful than, say, like Monster um, and all the other big ones, which I don't think I've ever gotten a job off of. Have you? Do I know anyone who's ever gotten a job off those? Um, Whereas Muse, muse themuse.com, shows you profiles of the various places so you get to at least see what the architecture is you get to see what kind of coffee they're drinking I don't know how reliable the testimonials are but at the same time it's certainly more than what you get somewhere else and I think it's the reading between the lines um, that is important and if you're looking to start up your own company uh, Catherine Minshew should be an incredible inspiration to you she and her uh, co-conspirators have raised over $1.24 million in venture capital and angel investments um, in less than two years. And that is inspiring. Um, there's a reason they've given that money. These women are phenomenal. You'll hear why in our interview. In five, four, three, two, one. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to welcome on Catherine Minshew, who is the CEO and founder I can say co-founder or founder, which do you prefer? Both of them work. Okay, good. Of the Muse. Um, And it's actually, I think, the first job site I've ever seen that gives a real bird's eye view into companies that uh, the Muse deems people should be looking at. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like to say that we help people figure out what they want to do with their lives and how to get there. And that includes uh, what are some of the companies and career paths that you may or may not have heard of, but that you should definitely take a closer look inside. So you went to go work at McKinsey, which is you went to Duke and then you go and work at McKinsey. Um, This is just my anecdotal understanding from the outside world, but McKinsey is this elite uh, management consulting firm. What what do twenty one and twenty two year olds possibly know about managing? This is a really interesting question, and one that I wondered myself when I was interviewing there. Um, I think you know, as a um, college kid, you can do as well as you want in all your classes, but you still don't know jack shit about business. I think my interest in joining McKinsey was around um, the fact that they really do put you through this business boot camp. And I sometimes jokingly liken it to like what I imagine a Navy SEAL training camp is like. Like, Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily very pleasant all the time, but you do come out of it with a very well-honed set of skills. Um, And, uh, you know, it's funny, like, it's probably a longer discussion than we have time for, but in terms of what, you know, you get these fresh-faced kids in, in college and what they could possibly uh, know about business. I think a big part of it is... Um, I meant, I know, no, I meant specifically about management. About management. Because there's no way you've had, just logistically, there's mm-hmm. a limited amount of experience you, you can have had. You, you may have uh, managed an ice cream store in high school or, exactly. or college. I was an but, ass- assistant manager at a swimming pool. Yes. Um, but no, and it's interesting. They've got the partners off, you know, often provide that management expertise. When you come in, you do a lot of, you know, Excel, PowerPoint, analyst type stuff in the beginning. And then as they, you know, as you go through 
the boot camp um, of you know of of, uh, of these business and management skills, they sort of test you out in these very small ways. And then if you don't do well, you know you go back into doing more of the analyst work. And if you do do well, um, you can you know you can kind of move forward. And what I think was really interesting is that I always assumed before this experience that management was this magical talent that some people had and other people didn't have. Yes. And what was interesting is how much of a process of a skill that can be learned that it was. Um, things like when someone who reports to you um, isn't performing, you know, how do you handle that? It was interesting yeah. because you know, often at McKinsey, you'd have one of the partners sit down uh, with you, especially if you had a, a small team that you were project managing, and say, you know, this is a situation. This is how you handle it. This is why it didn't work as expected. Here are three strategies for how I would handle it. And it was really helpful to you know, receive that sort of like very explicit, there's a lot of feedback. You get uh, feedback pretty much every, well, every day, but every two weeks you sit down with your direct manager and they tell you all of the things they think you're doing well and all of the things they think you need to, uh, to improve at. Wow. I think it, it's a specific skill set in motivating people mm-hmm. with or without the financial incentives. I think it's very, very much exactly as you said about motivation. And it's been so interesting uh, to watch as we've built our team at The Muse, um, how different management styles work with different people on the team, um, really understanding at a very individual level what motivates each person and how what is what are they going to be most excited about, what's going to inspire them to, you know, buy in, give it their all, work hard. And it's not, you know, it's not the same from person to person. And um, I've actually been lucky because while I do think I learned a lot about management at McKinsey, I would actually say I learned the most from my co-founders um, who honestly are just are just absolutely incredible managers and and this is Melissa and Alex so mm-hmm. Melissa McCreary and um and Alex Cavalakis and so they worked with you at McKinsey mm-hmm. exactly and uh both of them were um much more uh I think lauded management consultants than I was uh I did just fine but it was not you know I think people could tell that my my heart wasn't totally in it while I was there so after two years you left mm-hmm and you go and you you create this pretty young professionals, which sounds like a, a line of clothing. I know. And it's so funny. You P-Y-P. look back sometimes at uh, the names. You know, you can want a career so badly. And then when you get it and it's not quite what you thought, I think a lot of people feel guilty and they think they should just be grateful and shut up and keep doing it. But I guess well, I've Well, a lot of people don't have an option to switch. Most people don't have the option true. to switch. That I mean, is also very you're, true. We're coming from a very – first of all, you're very young and incredibly focused – so you're able to make the moves much more quickly. Not everyone has that type of um, foresight, I would say. No, and I, and I definitely have um, been very, very lucky um, and, you know, with, with, I think, access to a lot of opportunities. Um, I definitely recognize that. Let's talk about that with Pretty Young Professionals, which I was rudely dismissive of the title. No, we should just call it PYP because PYP. every time someone says the full name, a little part of me dies inside. Okay. Um, it was a name that I, I – one of my business partners came to the table with the name, was very attached to it. Did she come with the Cosmos, too? I'll stop. I promise. Um, <laughs> well, we, there was a high heel in our original logo, which I got rid of very quickly. Okay, so I was um, right. Yes. And, you know, it's funny because looking back, I, I honestly am so embarrassed that I spent like 10 months telling people with a straight face that that was the company. I did, I did graduate to calling it PYP very quickly. Um, and we were in the process of changing the name when the company met its untimely end. But, um, but you know, it was it was funny because it was a female networking site. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We wanted to create a um, destination and community for kind of smart, aspirational, fearless women in Who are their attractive. 20s. 
Um, no, the idea was to be tongue in cheek with the name. Uh, did not quite work as planned, but um, yeah. But uh, it's funny. I mean, that's most of my jokes. Don't worry. It's cool. No, <laughs> and believe me, I'm 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 speechless because I am so in agreement. And I look back at that that like younger Catherine. And I'm like, what the fuck were you thinking? But anyway, as um, a, as a fellow Catherine, I look back at that younger Catherine and me and say that. All the, All time. the time, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was interesting too because so you know right now um, with Lean In with this you know massive movement, a lot of women talking about um, and that's uh, Cheryl Sandberg and that's exactly. Cheryl Sandberg's uh, movement slash political campaign exactly slash book slash book. Um, you know, I think now it seems much more obvious that you that you know that there would be value in this idea of creating a community for smart women. Yes. but it was really interesting how many people dismissed the idea when we first started working on it. Uh, there was a lot of generally women liked it, although they hated the name, which you know, duh. Um, but the initial response from uh, I would say you know at least three quarters of the men that I pitched was you know why would you ever do that? That sounds dumb. If women wanted to read about their careers, it would be in Cosmo. Um, how many women are really? actually out there who really care? I mean, sure, maybe in New York, but, like, when you get to the middle of the country, like, you know, you're going to have to diversify into, like, home care. I mean, it was absurd, the things that were said to my face. I mean, it just doesn't like, make sense <laughs> when you look at the statistics of women in law school and medical school and business school. It makes – I know that they have trouble moving to the next level, you know, mm-hmm. once they're in the work world, getting the, the CEO positions and things like that. But if you look at the drive and initiative, certainly in trying to climb that ladder, the, the comments like that make no sense statistically. Yeah, I think that a lot of people were looking at their very limited – personal and professional circles and trying to draw broad generalizations about the U.S. from that, which is just, you know, factually incorrect. But PYP, Pretty Young Professionals, was quite popular. I mean, you got up to, what, 20,000 users or something like that? Yeah. It's um, amazing. It's funny. Now that I look back, I'm like, oh, that was so tiny. But uh, at the time, we were really proud. I mean, our first... At Employee um, of the Month, we see 20,000 users. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny. You know, it did... so wonderful it was we it was funny we we were in the like three four five thousand users for a really long time and this was with me dedicating 100 percent of my time to it you know i was trying everything um i i joke that we trial and errored our way through you know everything that that possibly worked by failing 15 times before we got it right it was just um throwing so many things up against the wall seeing what sticked I was working on it probably twenty four seven, maybe not Saturdays, but um, how did but how did you get up to twenty thousand users with this site that you know you're starting out as a WordPress site? Yeah, with um, you and a couple friends, basically. So a few different things. Uh, we so our growth really started when we did two things. We redesigned the site to make it look a little more polished, and we brought in um, Melissa McCreary. Actually, was the first hire at PYP. Uh, her salary was guaranteed out of my personal bank account. And um, she really upgraded the quality of the content. And we had built the early community. Um, initially, it was a lot around social media and word of mouth. So we uh, created a little graphic that we distributed to all of our friends. We asked everyone to change their Facebook profile picture to this graphic on the day that and we launched. And they did it. And they did, yeah. Um, and it was probably, I don't know, maybe 50 people did it for That's us incredible. for 24 hours. Um, which was, yeah, which was so nice. And uh, we did a lot. We, you know, we asked people to post about it on Facebook, to tweet. We sought out a lot of uh, listservs, women, you know, alumni of so and so, 
different scholarship groups and asked them to spread the word. And a lot of people obliged, especially, again, the nicer that our website looked, the more legit and less amateurish it looked, the more people were happy to spread the word. So and the key is to get a good website. Did you have family money? How did how were you able to pay her a full salary? Um, so I had saved almost, I mean, I had saved like a third or more of my salary at McKinsey. How much do um, people at McKinsey make? $200,000 a year or something? Uh, ha, I wish. Uh, it was uh, 65K when I started. That's it? Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. In the New Yorker article that I read about it, it seemed like everyone was making – oh, maybe that's just Chelsea it, that it made might, 125 to start. It's also um, out of business school. You do much better I than see. out of undergrad. You got, you got gypped. It's I cool. apologize to gypsies. I, that's a horrible thing. <laughs> I don't like that. But you, you, you really need to go back and renegotiate. Well, yeah. I, I'm, see, see I'll, I'll think about it now. Um, you, you have this company, and I know that in it looks like you're struggling in all of these things, but – you are also at the same time making progress. Mm-hmm. And then it sounded like when your company started making the most progress is when you got ousted. Yeah, we had a um, a very – it was, like, shocking to me at the time, a very surprising situation, but um, something that happens a lot in early-stage startups, which is that as the company sees its first signs of success um, – what seemed like small divisions between the founding partners suddenly become much bigger. Um, So, you know, I always have to think about my words carefully when talking about this. But basically, we had had four founding partners. Um, By and large, there was a little bit of a difference. Two of us, Alex and I, who have with Melissa since gone on to found The Muse, and then our our other two co-founders had um, some early differences of opinion about how high-end the site should be, whether we should take... How pretty the women should be. (laughs) There was there was some definitely some conflict over the name. Um, I know you just keep like pushing the poker in deeper, like ah, you're killing me. Um, and you know, and there was also a question. There was um, I wanted us to raise money from uh, from tech investors and accredited investors, and there was also some question of whether we should just take family money from one of the people in the group. Um, and you know, without necessarily going into all the messy details, um, right at what should have been you know, us finally starting to uh, break out and start to do really well, um, there was a, a bit of a um, sort of unorthodox situation in which someone said, I don't, I don't want to stand by the agreement that we made and I'm, you know, taking over and you're out. And uh, How were they allowed to oust you? So we did all of the uh, agreements between the four of us on notebook paper. Um, we, I still have a couple shine, sign sheets of notebook paper that agree uh, on our equity split. And what I didn't realize is that uh, one of uh, my business partners had incorporated the company as a sole proprietorship in Delaware when we started a year ago oh, and had not – had not <laughs> Uh, I, I, I never saw those papers ever. I mean, this is the hard thing, though, because when you go into partnerships with friends and you're starting out and there's no money on the table. I mean, this comes up in my business all the time. When there's nothing at stake is when you have these huge um, fights over you know riches that don't even exist yet. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to say I'm going to get a lawyer in here um, when you're with one or two people and there's no money on the table and you guys are really just working on this out of passion. It is hard to sort of say we need a lawyer to actually draw this contract up. Exactly. And uh, Alex, who is the, you know, sort of the voice of reason, had pushed for one quite, uh, you know, repeatedly and aggressively over the entire life of the company. And, uh, the you know, the pushback from the other side was like, no, no, not yet. You know, when it's time, let's wait 
and um, you know, there were some comments to other people that I know made later that kind of implied that maybe this wasn't an accident entirely. Um, but you know, I never pushed for a lawyer too hard because you're, you're so busy, and I was very naive about the consequences. Well, I assumed it's, it's a delicate subject. It's it's easier in retrospect to say, oh yes, I was going to get a lawyer. I just want to, um, but. It, it's a lot harder when it's just a couple friends starting out doing things. Exactly. And I think, you know, I just really just never imagined, honestly, that we would have a problem. I figured if there was some sort of issue that we would, um, you know, that I don't know, that that we would sort it out or discuss it. And instead, uh, what happened is that, uh, you know, one of my business partners started rebuilding a site uh, without letting the rest of us know Um and she had been uh, full-time at McKinsey, had stayed, you know, was working like whatever, 90 hours a week. That's classic there. Decided to come, you know, <laughs> join uh, full-time instead of being kind of a part-time founder. And uh, this all happened on her third day. So, you know, she's like, I'm replacing you as CEO. Like, goodbye. Good luck. Get out. And uh, pretty much our entire staff, most of whom was uh, volunteering at the time, um, basically said we're going to quit in protest. I mean, but that's and like the ultimate revenge fantasy that you get fired and like everyone comes literally with you. Literally everyone left. Everyone except for the two of them. There were like 14 of us that walked or something. And they all followed me and we started over. Did you just feel like the queen of the world having this validation? No, I felt <laughs> like uh, an absolute humiliated failure. I mean, I had literally been why, on the phone with why? these because I had told all of these people individually come work with me on this thing that has no value and that can't pay you anything. But I believe, and I'm going to convince you that this will have value and that this is important and that, that we are building something great. And we had worked so hard. I mean, a lot of the people on the team were working, you know, at night when they get home from work or on the weekends to build this company. Also that was supposed to be about female empowerment. And I had to call them up one by one and say, I am so sorry, but I'm shut out of the site. I'm locked out of my email. And if you're not locked out of your email yet, like you may be too. And I want to start over at square one. And at the time, we thought that starting over was going to be the same path as the first time. So I thought I was asking everyone to not even asking because I, I didn't ask them to follow me. I just said that basically that, that this is basically what happened. And like they were welcome to do, you know, that I wouldn't judge them for staying or for leaving entirely or, but if they wanted to do something else with me, but that, that, e that would be great. Everyone um, but two people came yeah. with you to the Daily Muse. That was the next thing you started. Yeah. How soon after? Um, it was just uh, weeks, like two weeks, three weeks. All right. So that's a very short recovery process. I, I joke that we went from the fetal position to the whiteboard and back again. And that is that is pretty accurate. Um, I, I had just moved into a new apartment and I was, I, I would alternate between periods of um, just absolutely been like unable to get up off the bed or the floor, laying at the ceiling, thinking all of these people have put so much work into this project and I have let them down and, uh, you know, and I, I, I have lost everything we've worked for. And then periods of mania being like, if we were going to start over from scratch and not take anything, not touch anything, but start from the absolute ground up. What would that look like? And it was, you know, it's easy to romanticize it 
like going back, it was really not fun at the time. I also was nearing the end of my savings. Um, I had spent, you know, I'd been living for, I guess, 10 months or so without a salary. So I had spent, even at like keeping my expenses small, a good amount of the money. And, um, you know, the, the, the upside is a lot of people reached out and offered me um, help or jobs or things like that. Because, yes. you know, my I was using my work email as my primary email. So I probably got, you know, two, three hundred emails a day. And when it got shut down, people are all over Facebook and Twitter being like, hey, your email's bouncing back. I just went to your website and you're not on it anymore. And neither are any of the people I've met who are associated with your team. What is going on? And um, and so in some ways, I didn't have the luxury of being really quiet about what happened because I also felt like, you know, the message that the other two wanted me to communicate was that I had voluntarily left for, you know, other things. But um, again, like I was the public face of this company and I had gone to people who had no reason to give us anything. So we were tiny and tiny, we were inconsequential and said, look me in the eyes and please help us because essentially it's like a, it's a promise that, you know, please help us because with your help, I can make this great. And it had, you know, it had disappeared. And so I, anyway, did you ask the same people when you start the daily muse, which is uh, then becomes the muse and is this phenomenal job resource site? Were you asking the same people for money that you had asked for at PYP? Yes. Uh, we had only just started fundraising at PYP. So I'd only asked a very, very small number of people for money. So most of the people that I approached with the muse were, you know, basically unaware of me before that moment. But, um, yeah, we had pitched Joanne Wilson, um, who's, you know, a phenomenal angel investor here in New York. Uh, we had pitched her, like, two or three weeks before uh, this, you know, the, before the sort of everything happened, everything blew up with how did the first you know, company. How did you know how much to ask for? Oh, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's like a lick, a lick your fingers to get in the air sort of thing. Uh, I asked a lot of other startups that I thought were around the same stage or maybe six months ahead of us what they had asked for and what they were raising. And it turns out that most people followed basically two different paths. Either they said they were raising four to $500,000 and they went primarily after angels or they said they were raising a million dollars and they went primarily after seed venture funds. And... Um, you know, so we started out what saying... What are seed venture funds? Angels, investors, I'm assuming, they give you the money. They don't necessarily need a return. Right. Well, they, they want a return, but they don't necessarily need you to be Facebook. They, they, a lot of them give the money because they see something in you that reminds them of their younger self. They believe in the idea of the business. They obviously want a return. And so they, you know, and they have a lot of people asking them for money. So they're still pretty tough customers. But for them, you know, if you sell for you know, $10 million, that could still be a great exit for them. Whereas venture funds like to say out loud that they don't look at anything that's not a billion dollar idea. Um, so it's a very different How pitch. do they know if it's a billion dollar idea until it's a billion dollar idea? I mean, idea? do not even get me started. Like when in do Hollywood, not even <laughs> get me started. <laughs> I had an agent who read my script and goes, you know, I really want friends. And I was like, you wouldn't know friends if you read friends. You only know the, the after. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is really interesting. I mean, I think that it, it comes from, um, you know, there, there, there is a... I meant friends, the TV show. Yes, no, I'm exactly. Sure doesn't have any friends. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is interesting. You know, they, they often... Um, you know, are looking for kind of big trends along the lines of uh, crowdsourcing, big data, social networking. And uh, one of the challenges for us in the early days, obviously, is we didn't look like any of those sites. And so I think there was a real, uh, you know, we had we really had trouble communicating the potential of what we were doing to VCs. So we got turned down uh, between angel investors and VCs 148 times in the first 
um, like four months that I was pitching and two people said yes, but the yes was somewhat contingent on us finding other people who said yes. And then you get this fellowship. Can you explain to me what the Y Combinator Accelerator program is? Yeah. Um, that was getting into that was like, I mean, I was so happy. I basically like cried tears of awesomeness. It's an incredibly Um, prestigious program. Yeah. It's an, it's a three month program. Um, they call it an accelerator or an incubator. So what they do is they basically invest a small amount of money in a number of early stage companies. 170,000. Yeah. Well, they invest 20,000 and then partners invest 150,000 additional in every single one of the companies that get in. Wow. And they're basically, and then they coach you for three months. They help you really refine the business model, uh, connect you with people if you know if you need to be connected to certain partners. Um, they hold a demo day where they introduce you all to the investor to a bunch of investors all at the same time. It's this like you this know crazy is incredible. circus. And then ideally, you know the the goal for them really is um, to, to for one of the class for one of the cohort to be the next Dropbox or Airbnb. Those are both startups that came out of Y Combinator, so they're ones that get talked about a lot. Um, you know, everyone wants to know. Who do you think in this class is, you know, is going to be the next Airbnb? And uh, it's pretty neat. I mean, I think one of the big benefits for us was just getting to be part of that group because you look around at, you know, these other founders and, like, some of them are ridiculous. Some of them are brilliant. And, and you've got everything in between. And it's just a really neat group of people to be How part of. How many men versus women? Um, well, historically, it's 96% men, 4% women. Um, in our class, we were three women, uh, Alex, Melissa, and I, and I think there were four other women and then like 120 or 130 guys. And what about people of color versus white? And- uh, not great ratio there either. Um, I think you, you see... Um, How many were genderqueer? Okay, next question. So... Just <laughs> to say, not... <laughs> I... I yeah, I'm not sure. The Muse is a fabulous site where people post testimonials. You'll go to like a company like TED or NPR um, or Facebook, and you have people who have these jobs, which titles sometimes are totally obnoxious and I don't <laughs> understand. Uh, you know, acquisitions expert or whatever. Growth and they, hacker. Growth hacker. And they explain what that really is, which is terrific, and you get to see pictures of the office. But how honest can people really be about what it's like to work um, for so-and-so, and he's a micromanager. You know, you don't get those kinds of things. You don't get that kind of in- insight. It's not possible, right? Yeah, you don't. And it's interesting because that's one of the things we struggled with in the early days at the company. Um, how much do we want to be, uh, you know, on the investigative journalism end of the spectrum, kind of uncovering the truth, uh, but also, you know, in that case, you very, very difficult to have the support of the companies and with uh, sites online right now that are basically like, you know, Yelp for companies where people leave reviews. One of the big persistent problems is that anyone could go on. Like I could sign in right now and leave a review as a disgruntled, um, you know, I don't know, NPR employee, despite the fact that I have never worked there because it's very hard to verify that. Um, On the other hand, what we decided to do was, um, you know, we recognize that companies are still going to try and put their best foot forward, but we wanted to at least use uh, photo and video and employee testimonies to uh, really highlight the differences. So, you know, actually we're in the, like some of our product ideas right now in the works are are kind of getting to this point at how do you pull out, you know, there might be a great company, but like a specific division that's not very pleasant. How do we think about 
exposing that. Right now, we don't do a lot of that because the it's it's really employees who are generally chosen by management because they're happy talking about uh, what they do in a typical day. One thing, though, is our questions are very our pro- entire process is very designed to force people to be very specific. Um, if you ask people, it turns out, what's your favorite thing about working at you know this company? Not even joking, 95% of people are like, oh, the people. The people are amazing. I mean, I come into work with the best people. Well, that's great, and that might be true, but it's not useful to an outsider. Yeah, you need to so, know if they're gluten-free. You need to know what's really <laughs> going on. Exactly, and it's interesting. I mean, you can take um, companies like you know Dell and Intel, which to many outsiders might be indistinguishable, and when you listen to the employees talk, they are wildly different in the words they use, the vocabulary, the things they emphasize. Dell has a very um, kind of uh, family uh personal responsibility. They're very health and wellness and community service focused. The way they talk about their relationships to each other are kind of built on these principles um, of lifestyle and, and wholeness. And, you know, I don't want to speak for them. The profile does a much better job than I am. But then, you know, Intel, on the other hand, it's like everyone's fascinated and obsessed with being competitive. They're like, we're yeah. best in class. It's this, it's that. We're always competing, you know, international, global, us in Singapore, racing to be faster, better, more efficient. And that's great. And you can tell both sets of people really love it. But I bet if you swapped to employees, they may not, you know, they, they may not be as great of a fit. Now, are there companies that you would turn away even if they gave you a lot of money because you knew they were not so great to work yes, for? Yes, we've, we've done it many times, actually. Um, and it comes in a lot of flavors. Anyone want a name? Uh, I'd rather not, but I will tell a funny story. Uh, we had a company approach us that seemed very interesting. They were at McDonald's. No, keep going. <laughs> um, they were in a very interesting space, uh, you know, and and we we started working with them, and the way that um, that they treated people on our team was so bad that um, ultimately uh, I made the decision. I had to call up, you know, the our senior contact there and explain to them why. Um, we just didn't think that it was the right move for them to be on the platform. And we've done that with a couple of other cases where, you know, different things were at play. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we're not ultimately a screening process. Like, we, we can't um, kind of say that every single person's experience these companies is going to be amazing. But if we have reason to believe that somewhere is not uh, a great place to work, then we have no problem uh, turning them down and have done have done quite a few, which is hard, especially if somebody's got you know real money on the table. But I also think you got to have a long term perspective that um, the money now is dwarfed by the potential returns later if you stick true to the brand that you're building. Well, I encourage everyone to please check out uh, The Muse. It's a fabulous site, and it was a pleasure and privilege to have you on the show. And you are off to. Um, the former Republic of Georgia. I am indeed. I'm excited. I'm flying out tonight. And you're going to t- teach people how to be muses? Uh, I'm teaching a couple of, uh, of entrepreneurship seminars to university students there. So like building a business plan, articulating your vision to investors, um, attracting partners and users, um, potentially getting on the media, which is sort of fun. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited, actually. I love teaching and um, obviously don't get to do all that much of it, but it'll be kind of a nice like quick six day. You have 143 years ahead of you to teach some more. And (laughs) I'm so proud of you for accomplishing so much so quickly. And I look forward to seeing what more emerges. We'll have to have you back on every four years to see the 12 companies you started between now and then. Or just the 12 million times bigger the muse has gotten. Either way. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. 
That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month show. Thank you to Gordon Smith. Thank you to all of you for listening. And thank you to the Writers Guild for allowing us to record in your offices. I'll talk to you soon, I hope. No, seriously, I really do hope. I'm waiting for your call. I'm not actually waiting for your call. But if you want a text or email, I will definitely respond to those. Oh, that's Lady, my co-host, also known as my dog, who sounds like she's ready for a walk. Okay, I'll talk to you all soon.